You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, Luke chapter 11. Let's stand and read this passage. We are in our series on prayer as we've been for uh, a while now and uh, going through these verses on prayer. Luke chapter 11, verses uh, 1 through 4 is what we'll read tonight. And I like reading responsively. I like the sound of the church reading together. And so we're going to do that tonight. Luke 11, 1 through 4. We'll begin in verse 1. Ready? Begin. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive every one that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The phrase that I'd like to focus on tonight is at the beginning of verse 4. It says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Let's ask the Lord to help us as we look at this. Father, I love you and I'm thankful for your word. I pray that you bless the reading of it and help me as I convey these thoughts. Thoughts that are extremely important and yet sometimes often neglected in our Christian lives. Uh, We're asking for your Holy Spirit to illuminate these words and help us to be what we're supposed to be in our account with you. Keeping that short, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We're in our series on the model model prayer of Jesus Christ to his disciples here. And the disciples have made a request, as we just read. They've made a request to Jesus Christ that he'll teach them to pray. And at this point, we've covered the first four petitions that the Lord told them to include in their time of prayer. The first was, hallowed be thy name. And God is holy and we are not. When, When we pray that God's name would be hallowed or treated as holy as it is, we are aligning our view of God and aligning ourselves underneath that view of God uh, so that we see him properly and we see ourselves properly, that he is holy and we are not. The differences between us are vast. And a lot of places you go, they they try to convince us that God is just a a little bit of a a better version of mankind. But that's not it at all. The baseline is completely different than that. It's good for us to be reminded of the differences between us and God himself. The second request was thy kingdom come. And a proper view or perspective of God will naturally align us and then place us within within us the great desire to see God's kingdom purposes fulfilled. When we finally get a vision for what God is and and we understand his holiness, and we see the difference between us, it aligns us, and then we want nothing more than for his purposes to be accomplished. In the same way that Isaiah, when he saw God high and lifted up there in Isaiah chapter 6, the first things that he said, uh, besides, uh, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips, 
He said, Lord, here am I, send me. I want to see your purposes accomplished. When you get a glimpse of what God uh, really is, then we strongly desire to see those purposes fulfilled. His kingdom means that his purposes are advancing, and a large part of that is the promoting of the gospel to the world. That helps his kingdom to be advanced. The third petition here is when he says that to pray, thy, king, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. I don't know about you, but I struggle with submitting to any kind of authority because as sinners, we're full of pride. It's not our nature to submit. As sinners, we're prideful, but follow, part of following Christ is self-denial. Part of following as a disciple of Christ is to say no to yourself. Sometimes I think the most important word uh, that a disciple could, could have in his vocabulary is no. We're to tell ourselves no constantly to the things that God would not be pleased with so that we can have a walk with him. We, we must pray that then if we're submitting to God's will that we would do it as the, the same way as those in heaven would do it. And in heaven, those that submit to God's will do it cheerfully. They do it with complete submission. And God asks us to pray that his will is done uh, in heaven or in, on earth so as it is in heaven you know, Jesus Christ submitted to his Father's will. You think about that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even Jesus Christ uh, was submitting to the will of his Father when he may not have even really, we know that based on his prayer, he didn't want to go through or have to go through what he was about to go through with. His body, in his physical body, he didn't want to submit to that, but in his spirit he submitted to his Father. And it's a great example for us that sometimes accepting his will can be tough, because it may not align with our desires. The other petition, the last one we looked at a couple of weeks ago, was give us day by day our daily bread. And God is naturally a giver. He always gives and he gives good gifts. We, on the other hand, are like beggars sitting on the side of the road and we have absolutely nothing in ourselves to earn what he gives us. That should be our mindset when we pray to God. Not that, oh God, you look at the stripes that I've earned, and look, what I've, look, look what I deserve, but no, I am a beggar on the side of the street, and if I don't have some help from somebody that comes along with a crumb of bread, I have nothing to eat. I've got absolutely nothing. And I believe that many Christians are spiritually starving because they don't depend on God's daily strength to live their lives. They go about in their own wisdom. They go about in their own strength. And in the same way that God provided manna for the children of Israel daily, he asked that we come to him and ask him for spiritual provision each day. Now, that's not natural for us because we live in a Costco culture. A Costco culture says you stock up, you fill up your freezer, you, you fill it as far as you can, so you, you have to go back as little as possible. You don't want to have to frequently go back to Costco unless you're just a glutton for punishment or maybe you like their pizza, I don't know, or their footlong hot dogs or whatever they have over there. But you know, we don't typically in our culture live hand to mouth. I'm not spending the morning looking for food to feed my family for lunch and dinner that day. That's not the culture we live in. And yet, spiritually speaking, I must depend on Christ every day for strength to live, for the strength to be what I'm supposed to be. That's how consistently we should pray that petition, daily. And it leads to tonight's phrase, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive 
everyone that is indebted to us. There are a couple of elements to this that I think are often missed in the life of a Christian. Last time we talked about the prayer acrostic, and I find it to be pretty helpful. It's that word acts, and those four letters are adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration in our prayer, adoration would be the time that we simply praise God for who he is, where we simply stop and we're not asking for anything, we're not even thanking him for what he's done for us, we simply praise him for who he is. And I believe that that's a neglected time in the prayer lives of many Christians. Sometimes it's just it's time to just stop and admire the Lord. To praise God for who he is. Not necessarily for what he's done, just for who he is. Acts. Confession would be the second one. That's admitting our sin and saying what God says about it. That one's pretty straightforward. Thanksgiving is expressing gratitude then for the things that God does for us. The blessings. Supplication is these are the petitions. This is asking God for his help. And tonight's phrase certainly fits under number two, which would be confession, adoration, confession. And there are two parts to the phrase that we're looking at tonight. I think we're probably, we will just get to the first part and then the second time, the second part we'll look at next time. But he says, and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. If you read the first and second part of this phrase together, it becomes obvious that the word sin and the word debt are interchangeable. So look again, it says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. So can you see how the thought pattern is there that sins are the same as debts? And if we were to go over to Matthew 6, we would see in Matthew 6 account, uh, uh, there the Sermon on the Mount, He uses the word debt when he says, Jesus Christ does, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we could see that the word debt is very similar. It's interchangeable to the word sin. And sin is a debt to God. When we sin, we put ourselves in position in which which we owe a debt to God. We have an obligation to him. When we ask him to forgive us, We are asking him to forgive us of a debt that we owe him. Debt usually conveys the idea of something monetary. If you have a debt, that means you've borrowed money and you have an obligation to pay it back. I don't know if that's how, if you knew that's how it works or not. Uh, I remember when I first got a credit, credit to my name or uh, a credit card and, and it was fun to swipe it at first until the end of the month came along. And you realize there is an obligation to pay off that debt. If I, if I owe money for a car uh, or for my home or I have bills, it means I, I couldn't pay it up front and, and now I have an obligation to someone else. And I think America, in our culture, uh, we look at debt a little bit too flippantly probably. But there are many more, there's much more than just monetary debt. There are also moral debts. When someone's done a wrong to someone else. R.C. Sproul gave this illustration about a boy that was trying to buy ice cream. And, and he went to the store and his, his mother gave him a dollar to go buy ice cream. And so he's standing in line and he tells the, the cashier what kind of ice cream he wants. And the cashier puts uh, two scoops on his cone and, and then says that'll be $2 one scoop or $1 per scoop. 
And the boy looks at his, his money and says, I only have one dollar. So he's standing there, and I was envisioning my son Jace standing there with a dollar and looking at the ice cream and knowing he doesn't have enough. And, and for a little boy in that position, the natural thing to do is cry. Because you want ice cream. Ice cream's wonderful. Zesto's ice cream, particularly wonderful. So the boy's standing there and he's crying because he only has a dollar, but he owes them two dollars. And so what would the natural leaning or the tendency be? What, what would most of us do in that situation? Um, I would pay the money, then take the ice cream myself. So, no, just kidding. I would go up to the cashier and say, I have a dollar. I'd like to pay for the rest of the ice cream so this little boy will stop crying and get his ice cream. I mean, that's what most of us would do. Now, another scenario, though, plays out. So that's a monetary debt, and someone comes and pays that debt for the little boy with ice cream. A different scenario would be that the little boy is standing there, and, and, the, and the, he, he tells the cashier, the employee, what kind of ice cream, and so they put the two scoops on, and they hand the cone to him and say, that'll be $2. Well, knowing that he only has $1, he runs out the door. And at, waiting outside the door is a, a police officer. This is, it's my illustration. I can have it work out however I want. So there's a, a police officer and the waitress or the person behind the counter says, thief, stop, thief. And so the policeman grabs the little boy and brings him back inside. And, and, and the, the people in the, behind the counter give, give a, their scenario and they say, well, here's what happened. And I could then at that point still walk up and say, uh, here's another dollar I'd like to pay for this boy's ice cream. But that's not all that's owed now. It's not just money that's owed now. There's a moral debt owed. Because that young boy, he broke a law. He broke a rule of society. He tried to take something that didn't belong to him. And in that moment then, the person working behind the counter uh, the owner of the ice cream shop, at that point, they could choose to accept that payment and, and call it even and let the boy walk away, but they don't have to. They could take it a step further. See, when we sin before God, we don't just inc incur monetary debt. It's not like, oh, it's paid, I'm done. No, there's a moral debt that's owed. We've offended God. We've broken his law. And Jesus Christ came and, and he paid that debt on the cross. But do you realize that the father wasn't obligated to accept any payment? He could have made a choice, but we should be thankful that in God's mercy toward us, he, he accepted the payment. And he didn't just accept the payment, he provided the payment. That moral debt was against him, and yet in his mercy... He accepted that payment as fulfilling our moral debt to him. See, the thought of undeserved mercy should cause us to consider how important this principle is tonight. This isn't just, uh, oh, oh man, I forgot to read that one on my prayer list. No, this is extremely important. If I owe someone $10,000 and I have to pay it in a week, I probably could find a way to come up with it. But if I owed $100 billion, there's no way I could ever come up with that. 
I, I, everybody I know or have ever met, none, all equal together, added up together, we don't, all, any of us have close to that. See, that tells the story of what we owed God. Only we owed a debt greater than $100 billion. God is holy, God is perfect, God is pure. And James 2.10 states, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. That means that God is so holy that if all I'd ever done was break one of his laws, that would be like me owing $100 billion to God. If all I'd ever done was break one. But I want you to think back on your life. The first time that I willfully and knowingly broke God's law, I don't know how old I was. I, I mean, I, the first time I was sinned and was responsible for it, I was probably, I don't know, four years old. Maybe three or four, and I fully, I maybe started fully understanding what it means to sin before God. Well, if that was my only offense ever before God, it would be like owing $100 billion to God. But I don't know about you, but I've incurred a lifelong uh, debt to God of sin after sin after sin after sin. I would hate to go back and look at the list now. It's so much more than just, than just one sin at the very beginning. I, I've offended in much more than just one point. I am guilty of all and I'm guilty countless and countless times. But many people, though, don't feel compelled to clear that debt. They don't feel compelled to ask God to forgive them. And, and my, I, I started thinking, well, I wonder why that is. And I think it's probably because if you, if you rack up debt, if you start to build up debt, you know, when it comes to a credit card, you have to pay it off every month or you, a payment comes due. But with God, he's so long-suffering and he's so patient and he's so kind to us that when we incur the debt, it could be stacking up and stacking up, but he doesn't require us to pay for it at that time because he wants us in his mercy to make it right. Payday doesn't come right away with God. Now, I know there are times when someone may sin or someone may do something they shouldn't. Maybe God, and, and, and I don't know how this works, maybe God would cause them to pay for it right in that moment. We see examples in the scripture of that happening, but, but God doesn't typically work that way. God is long-suffering. God is patient. And we sometimes get the idea, hearing what everyone else says about God, that he's a mean uh, a mean God who wants justice right away and he wants everyone to pay for their sins and he's just ready to kind of stamp out our lives uh, the next time that we break one of his rules. But that's not the way he works at all. We sin all the time. We live in a culture of people that are sinning and racking up debt and yet God in his mercy, he's long-suffering to us word, as the Bible says. But, but our, our culture and and people around us are, are piling up debt, sin debt, sin debt, until it's an amount that's owed beyond their comprehension. Romans 2.5 says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Let me read that again. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation. 
Do you get the idea of you know what that means? That, that when we're hardened in our hearts and we're impenitent and we rack up the debt, then we are treasuring up for ourselves wrath. It's like we're storing it up and we're saving it up and we're saving it up for that day when, when God's wrath is poured out on someone at the judgment. A balance of wrath is being built up until the day that they stand before God. An unsaved person, when they stand before God, they'll stand there and they'll see God in His holiness. And I don't know how that works either. I just know they'll understand who God is. And I happen to believe that they'll also understand the sin debt that they owed. And they'll realize in that moment, if not before then, that it is a debt that is so far beyond anything I could have ever paid for myself. They treasure up for themselves wrath. And listen, Christian, that's the position that, that the lost are in. Let me just stop and say that, that it is not a good position to be in. The lost need someone to tell them about the debt that they are building up, that they're piling up, that sin they're treasuring up for themselves, building up this balance of wrath. And when they stand before God, they will be judged. And in his wrath, he will have to say, depart from me. I never knew you. This is a debt you could have had paid for you, but you did not. And listen, when we think about the lost in that regard, we should be driven to say, I want them to know that they stand guilty before God. And if they don't come to terms with the fact that they need God's mercy to enter into heaven, they will die and spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And if, if we don't latch on to that responsibility, who is going to? They're treasuring up for themselves wrath. Your neighbor right now has a target of God's wrath on them. Not because he's mean, but because he's just. And all the sin that's piled up, unless you tell them, they will stand before God and be cast into eternity separated from him. We must see the loss for who they are. We must understand what sin really does between us and God. This is no small thing. They're guilty. And since they don't, I mean, if they didn't accept Christ's payment of death, their own death will have to be the payment. That eternal separation. Sin is likened to debt. But it's also likened to crime. Like a criminal that stands before a judge with evidence against him, if the crime weapon was found, let's just say the crime weapon is found in their hand, the, the event, the act was caught on camera, and if that happens, you don't really have much of a case to be found innocent. So again, sin is likened to debt. It's also likened to crime, breaking laws. So let's say that, again, a person is found with the crime weapon in their hand and it's caught on video and there are witnesses to the crime all around them. And not only that, they had bragged about the crime they were going to commit and there are witnesses to that. They, were, they bragged about the crime they, were, they committed. There's witnesses to that. The chances of a person in that position being let off, it's very low, isn't it? Then they stand before the judge. The judge has all this evidence and that person will likely be found guilty. Now imagine on top of all the evidence that the judge and the jury were all there. The judge and the jury all saw the whole thing go down. 
Do you like the chances of being found innocent in that case? Well, in America, in our court system, you never know, right? You and I, though, have broken God's law countless times, and he's seen every single offense. He knows about it. You know, it's a slam dunk case. You pay the penalty. Sin is a crime. And it's a crime, it's a breaking of God's law. And he's the judge. He's seen all of it. So we, so we see, again, sin is like a debt. It's monetary. Sin is like a, sin is like a crime. But sin also it is also like being the, God's enemies and that it puts us in a position where we are at enmity with God. Again, I'm painting. I know this is a bleak picture. I'm trying to get you to understand. We'll come around. Sin is like debt. It's like a crime. It also is enmity between us and God. Romans 5.10 states that we are enemies of God. Romans 8, 7 reads, the carnal mind is enmity against God. I don't like having enemies, but can you imagine if God is your greatest enemy? Sin is not something to be sniffed at. It's not something to be laughed at. It's a debt of money. It's a crime, and it also puts us at odds with God. I remember when I was in middle school, and there was, I don't know what I did. I really don't even remember, but there was a, there was a kid in the school, and he was, he was tough, and he was mean, and everybody knew it. And word got around that I'd made him mad about something. You ever been in that position? And I'm telling you, the last thing I wanted to do was see him in the hallway. Where, if I knew where he was going to be, I went the other direction. I did not want to be caught in that position. Yeah, call me a chicken, that's fine. But he was a big kid. You know, it, he was, for a time, he was my enemy. I let it blow over, it was fine. But if God is your enemy... Sin puts you in a debt, morally speaking, it, it puts you as a, a guilty criminal before God. It also makes us his enemies. We are at odds with God. We are at enmity with God. Before we were saved, sin made us his enemies. And I'm not trying to mean, make it seem like he's petty. That's not it at all. He's not petty at all. He's a just God. He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. And these are ways that we understand. I'm mentioning these tonight so that we can all capture the significance of our sin. I'm hoping tonight that we can see and try to, try to not be distracted by what, whatever may be going on. Just try to lock in right here. The reason that I'm going through this, the debt, the crime, the enemy, the being at God's enmity with God, is that sin is a big deal. It's significant. It's nothing to laugh at. It's nothing to, to, to turn our, 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 you just kind of turn away from and just let it happen. And yet I think in our culture, maybe in Christianity in our culture today, we think that sin isn't as big of a deal as it is. We get used to it. I mean, it's, it's all around us. It's all, all over media. It's playing on the radio. I mean, all of the sin and this debauchery and this lifestyle that God can't be pleased with. And we must understand that sin is a big deal and it's a big deal to God. We owe a moral debt to Him. We're like criminals. We're like enemies. Eastside Baptist Church, God is holy and I'm not. My sin is a moral debt owed to God that I could never repay. My sin is a list of crimes a mile long that the judge knows all about. My sin isn't just a breaking of law that puts me at odds with the government. No, sin puts us at odds with God.
because he's the one that's offended. It's so grievous to him that it makes mankind his enemy. Sin is not a small thing. The God of heaven sees it as a debt, as a crime, and as that which makes a man or a woman or even a child his enemy. Saw a sermon by Jonathan Edwards. He called it, Men Naturally Are God's Enemies. Isn't that encouraging? Those are the kind of titles they used to have back in the day when it wasn't so politically incorrect. Men naturally are God's enemies. And he gave some thoughts, and I've added a couple here, but I want you to pay attention here. God is holy, which means sin offends him on a moral level. That's one primary reason that men and God are enemies. Because he's holy and we are not. God is holy, which means sin offends him on a moral level. God is omniscient, which means he sees every sin. Not only is he holy, but he also knows every time we sin. God is just, which means every sin must be punished. God is omnipotent, which it means it's within his power to exact a fitting consequence to sin. God is immutable, which means he doesn't change his position on sin. Do you see that no matter what way we look at sin, it's going to be an issue with God? He's holy and he can't stand the sight or presence of sin. He's omniscient. He sees everyone. We can't hide it. He's just, which means every sin must be paid for. He's omnipotent, which means it's within his power to exact judgment, a fitting consequence to sin. He is immutable, which means he doesn't change his position on sin. He won't this week say, okay, that's bad. Well, then the next week, okay, I'll let it slide this time. He doesn't change. So listen, my question tonight is, why do we view sin lightly? How is it that we can go for days on end without confessing them? To know that it puts us in this position with God. How is it that if we know that we've offended our Father, we can continue in sin without making regular use of confession and forgiveness? I guess the best way to ask is this. How does it feel to be in debt beyond what you'll ever be able to pay? And you know the due date is coming. Is that a good feeling? Well, when we sin before God and we let it pile up, that's the position we're in. How does it feel to be in debt beyond what you'll ever be able to pay and the due date's coming? How would you like it if you'd committed a list of crimes a mile long and in, short, in a short time you'll be standing before the judge who has all the evidence against you? How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel confident? Well, if we sin and without, and without confessing it, that's the position we're in. How would it affect you knowing that you are enemies with the guy who wields all power and he's not happy with you? But the most important question to ask is this one. How does it feel to know, the fa- to know that you've offended your father? How does it feel to know that you've offended your father? That same father who's never done you wrong? Who only has good intentions for you? who has every day provided every single thing that you need, not just to survive, but to thrive as a Christian. The same Father who gave you life, sacrificed beyond comprehension for you, and has proven a willingness to go to any lengths if it would be for your good. We haven't just 
it's not just that we've offended a banker. So when I talk about debt, I'm not, it's not just that I've offended a banker. It's not that it, when I talk about crime, it's not that I've just offended a judge. When I talk about being at odds with God, it's not that I've just offended a bad guy. No, folks, we've, we offend our father when we sin. The same father who gives us everything we need. The same father who went to lengths none of us have ever gone to to rescue undeserving people from hell. We're not offending a banker or just a, a lawyer or a judge or an enemy. We have offended our father who's done everything he possibly ever could for us to provide for us. And that's why we say, Father, you are everything I'm not. And I want nothing more than to see your purposes advance. I pray that I could accept your will. You sustain me, help me depend on you every day. And it's only right then to know all those things about you that I stop and I ask forgiveness when I consider who you are and what you've done. Because that's doing wrong to my father and making light of it. If I leave this unconfessed, then I am saying, I don't really care, Father, that I've hurt you. That I don't really care that I've offended you. That it's not a big deal to me. I mean, it may be a big deal to you, but it's not to me. If I don't confess it, Father, it's like me saying it's not a big deal. It's like breaking my Father's heart and breaking His rules, but not making it right. It's like becoming my Father's worst enemy. It's like owing him a debt that I refuse to pay. And I want no part of that, Father. So I confess my sins to you. I come and acknowledge who I am before you. And I ask you for your forgiveness. Because I want to be right with you, my Father. You know, of all the pleas that stand out to me in all of this, that's the one that compels me the most. Because he's not a banker with little interest in my life. He's not just a judge who sits on a court bench. He's not just a bully roaming the hallways. He's my father. So are you making a habit of asking forgiveness of sin? That's our responsibility to our father. And I wonder how many of us take it, why so many of us take it so lightly. It's, we let that, be, that debt build up. We let those crimes stack up and we let we remain at odds with him but all we have to do is make a habit of continual confession I I was looking through my emails I've been looking through my emails lately and noticing I'm getting an email from our credit card company saying your payment of whatever whatever has posted and there's these numbers on there I'm like what's going on is is there a magic genie paying toward our credit card for us this is fantastic so I called my wife and I said, hey, can you explain to me what, what's happening with this? And she said, well, my debit card broke. So I can't really use it or swipe it. It's cracked. So I've been using, using the credit card. She had to make a confession. So I've been using the credit card, but every time I use it, then I get on immediately and I pay it off so the, the balance doesn't stay high. 
and I can't swipe my card when I go to the store, but I can, I can, I can go back later and pay it online and place, make a payment. You understand how that works. But, but it was a great illustration to me of the way that I ought to be when I sin. You see, rather than, okay, I'm going to swipe the card and then um, if I pay it, I pay it. But if not, no big deal because I always forget about paying it if I don't pay it right then. And then I'll go again. I'll go to the next place. So my debit card's broken. So I swipe the credit card again. But then I forget to pay it because I don't, I don't make the, a point to pay it. And then I go to the next store and again, oh, my debit card again, I need to go get a new one. I swipe that credit card again. And before I realize then the balance on my credit card is astronomically high and I'm looking at the bank account saying, man, we're doing really good. And then I get the credit card bill in the mail. You see, if we don't pay it off immediately, I guarantee we forget about it. I guarantee we go about our day and we don't even remember that there's a balance to be paid. And that is the picture of many Christian lives out there. We're swiping the card, we're adding the credit, we're, we're, we're piling up the debt, and then we go about our way. And we forget that our account balance is skyrocketing. Christian, this is one of the basics. I had a professor in Bible college who used to say, keep a short account with God. In other words, every time you build, some, you build a debt, every time it starts to stack up, you need to stop and pay it off. Not that you could pay it off, but Jesus Christ did. And you stop and you let him make the payment. Because before too long, you'll have a, a, a debt that's far greater than you ever thought it could get. You just let it build up and build up and build up. Listen, if, we're not, if we don't have that short account with God, there's very little in our Christian lives that we can do successfully. Because we're operating in a position of sinfulness. And I think it's time, based on Jesus Christ's example here, it's time for God's people to stop letting it build up. Let's get to the place where we view sin as seriously as God did. It's not a big deal, something to laugh at, oh, I made a mistake. No, it's an affront to a holy God. It's racking up debt, it is a crime, and when we do it, it we are at odds with our Father. We owe him that. We owe him that. And according to 1 John 1, 9, he forgives when we confess, and I'm so thankful that he's faithful and just to do so. Now, there is a condition... And it has to do with our responsibility to others, which we'll discuss next time. But don't take this part of the model prayer lightly. And maybe you've been out of the habit. Maybe you've been out of the habit and every time you slip up, every time you have a wrong thought, every time you say a word you shouldn't, every time you, in anger, speak to somebody in a way that you shouldn't, you, you just kind of ignore it and move on. But it's time to be as sensitive to sin as our Father is. He sees every one of them. And maybe we've gotten so used to in a culture that downplays the significance of sin, maybe we've started doing it in our own lives. We overlook it. We think it's not a big deal. Uh, it's, it's not really fully a sin. It's, it's, it's okay. No, if, if God is sensitive to the significance of sin, then we should be as well. 
So what's your account with God look like? Have you, have you been swiping that card and not paying it off? Because it's time to get back into that habit. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.